Last week, 247 Sports' Josh Pate had an interesting segment on his podcast, Late Kick with Josh Pate. The host recapped numerous conversations about name, image, and likeness he's had off the record with various FBS football coaches and administrators this offseason, and he's noticed some interesting things that have popped up in these conversations. A large swath of the coaches that Pate has talked to did not seem to think that the biggest issue with NIL was the sheer amount of cash being thrown around by outside collectives, but the amount of promises being made to these prospective athletes that are not quote-unquote founded in reality. Further listening to the episode makes the implication clear. There are high school kids signing NIL deals that are cleverly written in lawyerly speak and not fully understood by the signing party. That is, some players are showing up to campus thinking they're getting something fully guaranteed to only later realize that that isn't the case. Now, Pate went out of his way to explain that he wasn't calling out any singular program or trying to name names. But this issue originally popped up in the college football zeitgeist when internet rumors started whispering that Jordan Addison was unhappy with his arrangement once he arrived USC earlier this summer. If Pate's conversations with coaches in the offseason do actually reflect reality, it seems likely that more rumors in this vein would start to pop up, right? Now, I think it represents a really fascinating possibility for where NIL could go or what some of the unintended consequences look like in practice. When Texas A&M signed the best recruiting class of all time a season ago, it was correctly assumed that NIL payments were a large part of that success. But what happens if A&M wrote some checks their butt can't cash? What if they didn't have their ducks in a row before they started promising large stacks of cash to 17-year-olds? Don't you think word of that dereliction would soon be common knowledge everywhere in the recruiting world? Don't you think that would impact their ability to induce players with NIL in the future? Can we extend that logic all the way to other programs as well? One of the most intriguing arguments in favor of NIL to me was always the parity argument. Being able to consolidate resources behind a player you really, really wanted in theory would make it possible for a program like Arkansas to put a bunch of money behind a certain five-star they wanted and maybe outbid programs like Alabama and Georgia. You can insert any program you want for Arkansas. But what if the real challenge of NIL is more logistical? That would benefit the teams that are taking their time and letting the realities of the situation play out. What if immediately jumping into the NIL game with volumes and volumes of cash without knowing how everything will play out was exactly the wrong thing to do in retrospect? It wouldn't be the first time programs like Texas A&M and maybe USC have made mistakes like that. That's what we'll be talking about and more OU recruiting coming up as well. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Indeed, this is West of Everest. Thank you for spending some time with us today. I am Lee Benson, and this is going to be a rare episode of the show. Longtime listeners know that this is not a recruiting podcast. We leave all of that up to the experts. And quite frankly, the world of recruiting just, it just does not interest me very much. Uh, so, you know, again, leave it up to the experts. They know more about it than me. And, you know, you guys get your information from them. Uh, at the same time, though, I do realize that recruiting is important. I know that in a lot of ways, recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. That's where you get all your good players. I, I get it. But that being said, with the amount of four-star players and I can think of one to two five-star players off the top of my head who've amounted to basically 
not a lot to nothing at Oklahoma over the past five years or so. Things like that continue to remind me that nothing really matters until you get on campus and we start seeing you play the games. But another but, another, uh, another addendum to this intro to the show, because I know there's some people out there listening to this saying, oh, come on, come on, man, they're screaming at me. Yeah, okay, I get it. It does matter to get more four-star players and more five-star players than everybody else. Yes. I'm not going to sit here and say that stars don't matter because stars do. And, you know, I don't have the math in front of me. It's all about hit rate. And I'm sure over time, more and more four- and five-star players end up hitting uh, at the highest level than three-star players and no-star players and things like that. So I I get that. Uh, So anyways... That's my recruiting interest background. <laughs> and now that that's out of the way, let's talk recruiting. Joining me as always is Grant Benson. What's going on, Grant? Lee, that was electric. Well done. Well done breaking it down. Um, okay. All I right. Think, Just, honestly, I think... Come on, man. You're going to get... Come on. You're going to get hired. At, like, Rivals is going to hire you away. You're going to be, like, the head guy, I think, eventually. I think on... Th- I, I just turned down a call from On3 before the podcast started. They're, they're really interested in my, my takes on uh, the... This area, uh, the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas area, you know, because I got so many thoughts. I have a lot of notes. But I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm a free agent. I'm a free agent. And, uh, you know, on three called, rivals may be next. But, uh, you know, I'm not really sure where this is going. I've, uh, I'm not, not going anywhere. Yeah, no, I'm just kind of letting you die out there, to be honest with you. Keep going. No, I'm I'm good. Okay, cool. I'm gonna cut my losses. Cool. Well, yeah. In in case you guys haven't really you know, haven't really caught on yet, this is uh, the topic of uh, of this week's show is 100% my idea, of course. Um, and so everybody who's kind of been clamoring for recruiting and everything, um, we're doing it this week because one, there have been some some big developments that I think we probably should talk about because I think there's kind of some overarching sort of big picture stuff. That we're going to talk about. We're not going to get super, super in depth into talking about who I like this guy and I liked his film and that one game against that one team. And that's not going to happen here. I, you know, you can go back and listen to the archives. I can't really take anything at all away from high school film. I, I, I don't know what to look for. I don't. All I look for is you need to be dominating. And if I if I can see that you're dominating and that you are just so much athletically gifted or more so than anyone else around you, and it's obvious on film, that's the only way that I can really look at film. Um, like the, the other nuances and stuff like that, I don't really get into. And so that's not going to happen, you know, on on this show at all. I think we're going to get more into just kind of big picture stuff, um, talking about how, you know, Oklahoma, their ability to recruit going into the SEC, la di da di da all of that stuff, big picture. Um, and also I think, you know, I, I started the show off talking about the, the, the Josh Pate podcast and issues that he brought up maybe with NIL. And I just kind of want to revisit the conversation. We, 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 we talked about this off and on for the last year or so. And right before the season starts, I just want to revisit us, you know, revisit. I want me and you to sit and talk about where are we with NIL? What, you know, what has happened? What has surprised you about what's gone on with NIL? Uh, where, where do you see it going from here? Um, it was that podcast from Josh Pate that just kind of made me think about it differently. And I thought it, I, I thought it was interesting um, because, you know, that, that important question of what if it's not as simple as just getting as much money as you possibly can and just throwing it at as many elite guys as you can, you know, what if that's not the answer? And obviously we have, you know, as, as fans of the university of Oklahoma, we have vested interest in that, in that not being the answer, not, not being the answer, of course. So, 
uh, you know, would really love to talk about that. So that's kind of the roadmap for what we got, Lee. Um, it looks like I'm going to be driving this bus a lot of the way because I think I follow recruiting a little bit more than you do. Um, and so where I want to start is Oklahoma's quarterback, uh, quarterback commit in this 2023 class Lee is Jackson Arnold from, uh, from Denton Geyer, Texas. Uh, what is that? That's in, that's in the North Metro, isn't it? Oh yeah. It's North like Texas. Dallas. Yeah. North. That's yeah. The, the mean green man. That's uh, yeah. You drive through Denton to get down to Arlington. Yeah, I, I drove through there, stopped at the Bucky's in Denton on the way back from Big Twelve Media Days. Was that uh, two weeks ago now? And uh, real quick before you get going, and, and you know what, you putting the rundown together and going—that that's great. You know, I I appreciate it because honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of things on my mind OU wise. Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about the whole Kyler Murray contract thing that came out yesterday, and that whole clause is is insane to me. I don't know. We're kind of on a time crunch today, so maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, and also, for the first time ever during this show, I'm recording this. I have no internet, so I have no way to uh, look at the rundown if, if you update it. Fortunately, I was able to get onto uh, the rundown before it went out so I could see what it was all in there as of about three hours ago. <laughs> so if you've added anything in the last three hours, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, and, so I, and I can't look up stuff online off the, you know, or off the bat made myself look and, and sound smarter so if I say anything dumb I can't fact check myself so that's going to be either on you or the uh, listeners and also I can't look at the West of Evers Facebook page I, I don't know if we have any comments or questions and stuff so I don't know if, if that's something that you can check out or not but again we're kind of on a time crunch as well tonight and so I just want to give a background in case something weird happens and uh, this podcast does not sound as good as all the other ones do because I know every other episode before now has been just pristine, elite-level podcasting, especially when we consider college football podcasting. So quick, just wanted to do a quick little background there. Well, that means it's probably going to be our best show ever then, Lee, because we got, we, we got nothing. It's just nothing but our thoughts is all this is going to be, it looks like. And so we are going to start with Jackson Arnold. And, you know, I mean, this is about a month ago now, but at this point, I think it's about three or four weeks ago. But Jackson Arnold won the Elite 11, which means the, the coaches who run the Elite 11, the people who put on that, that giant event, they think that Oklahoma has the best quarterback in, in, in high school football going into his senior year of, of, of high school. And now, Lee, I, I think we just we kind of want to start with this of saying or, or of asking you, what does this say about quarterback recruiting going forward for Oklahoma with, you know, with the context of who just left to go to USC and his reputation of recruiting quarterbacks? Now, Oklahoma has at least kind of the most prestigious, you know, quarterback competition is saying Oklahoma in the, in the first recruiting cycle since Lincoln Riley has left has the number one quarterback in, 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 in the country coming in. What does that say about Oklahoma moving forward? Well, number one quarterback, at least as far as the elite 11 coaches or whoever puts that on, I'm not sure if it's coaches or if it's, so just to caveat uh, or to clarify that because, uh, you know, Arch Manning wasn't there. I was going to I, I was going to get involved. around to that. I was going to get around to that. We we're going to bring up Arch Manning later in this conversation. And and so this is actually one of the parts of the podcast that I actually prepared for. So I I, I can sound somewhat intelligent when it comes to this. And you look at the recruiting rankings. I know that Arnold is still behind Arch Manning. He's still behind Malachi Nelson, but I mean it's just it's by decimal points, you know. It's like what do you like more? What do you like? And and so uh, you asked the question, what does it say about quarterback recruiting? It it says a lot. It, it's it's a lot of credit's got to go to, obviously, Brent Venables and uh, got to go to Jeff Lebby because it was in the middle of June, early to mid-June, that Arnold, I believe, got that extra star. He was a four-star guy. And, again, I, 
we all know this. I'm not an expert on recruiting, but I want to say I heard rumors, or maybe you said this somewhere, or maybe I heard this from some of the other fine uh, OU beat reporters that I talked to, that you know Jackson Arnold was a player that Jeff Lebby kind of figured out and honed in on early on and, and liked them a lot. And there was never really any thought of going after an Arch Manning, or I, I don't know if there's any other quarterbacks in this class that were available when Arnold was, but it sounds like, uh, again, like Lebby liked Arnold a lot and it would appear that Arnold reciprocated that. And ever since then, you know, he commits and then he gets the extra star and then he wins the elite 11. I mean, everything looks great when it comes to Arnold and Jeff Lebby. And uh, like, that was the big thing, right? When Lincoln Riley leaves or left is, I mean, quarterbacks came to Oklahoma to play for Lincoln Riley. I, I know that we had a, a debate and discussion, especially when Caleb Williams left and the whole thing about, you know, like, does, does the school mean something to you or not? You know, my whole thing is like, I, I, I totally understand somebody coming and playing for a coach and not necessarily coming for the school. And that's a whole other debate uh, that we can get into. We have got into, but it's pretty obvious that Caleb Williams came to Oklahoma because of Lincoln Riley. And I think either he said that or his family did, or it was reported and, and that's fine. And that's, and he went to USC because he wanted to go to college and play for Lincoln Riley because I'm going to guess that he thought Lincoln Riley was his best bet to become probably the number one pick in the NFL draft at some point. And I think that's totally fair. And so the thought is, oh, man, Lincoln Riley's gone. Is Oklahoma going to be able to get these elite-level quarterbacks? He takes Malachi Nelson with him, which is totally reasonable. I understand. Malachi Nelson probably thinking the same exact thing that, Link, uh, that Caleb Williams was thinking. And so, yeah, it's – you could think, uh, who, you know, who the, who's Oklahoma going to get? I know Nick Evers comes in last class. He's a four-star guy, but, you know, some with a cup of coffee in the spring game, it, you know, it's not the biggest, you know, it's not the biggest stage where he, you know, we can really kind of judge him, but he looked like a deer in the headlights. Uh, and I haven't heard much about him. So going at, you know, past this year, it's always, always like, okay, what's going to happen? And then you get Jackson Arnold and everything is, is so positive with Jackson Arnold. The, the, the thing is, that's great. It's a great starting point. Lincoln Riley was fantastic at developing quarterbacks. He got Baker Mayfield as a number one pick. He got Kyler Murray as a number one pick. Uh, now, Spencer Rattler's the, the black mark. He took a huge step back in year two under Lincoln Riley, starting at least. Uh, Jalen Hurts, though, deserves to be thrown in there for the one year. Jalen Hurts definitely got picked higher than he probably would have otherwise if he would not have come to Oklahoma. So most of the evidence for Lincoln Riley is very positive when it comes to quarterbacks. When it comes to Jeff Lebby, there's Dylan Gabriel, who's still in college. We're going to see him this year. And I'm, I'm totally blanking on the Ole Miss quarterback that just got Matt drafted Corral. from last year. Matt Corral. There's Matt Corral, really. And we don't know what Matt Corral is going to be yet in the NFL. So his resume, as far as developing the guys, is not really there. I mean, Dylan Gabriel's a nice player. We'll see. And Matt Corral, we'll see. So the next step is, what does Jackson Arnold become when he gets a chance to play? And if Levy can develop the guys, then I, I think that we're going to be in this situation, Grant moving forward where it's definitely reasonable to expect Oklahoma to be in the running for top quarterback talent every single year like they were with Lincoln Riley. And it's a great start, again, to get Jackson Arnold and to get him to that fifth star and, uh, of, of course, win the Elite 11 uh, challenge or whatever they want to call it, competition. So I do, I, I do want to throw it out there to say he's not – so Jackson Arnold has actually not gotten a fifth star at, at any – any of the recruiting he's he, he's a he's a five star in the composite which means oh, like okay. he's well, which essentially means and if you go and look at everything on three rivals two four seven he's about as high of a four star as you possibly can be on all of those services he's basically like he's a top 30 player essentially on all of those services 
Um, it's just not good enough for a four star at all those services, but in the composite, it is. So if that makes sense, and huh, so I, you know, I'm. Is this that is, common? No, that's that's not particularly. I feel common, like that's no. that's super. Okay, that's super. I've never heard of that before. So I, I I've seen it happen before, but it's 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 not it's not it it doesn't happen very often where you where the consensus on a guy everywhere is that he's like the number 30 player in the country. That that doesn't ever happen. If you if you if you have one thing like if you have one site saying that he's the number 30 player in the country, that means it's pretty good chance that you're going to have another site that's that has a totally different set of eyes on it and thinks, "Oh, that's the 15th best player in the country and that's usually good enough for five stars." And there's actually another player in this class that we can talk about in that regard too. Who's a who's a five star with the on three? Um, he's actually the technically the only five star in Oklahoma's class who actually has that fifth star. But we'll you know we'll get to that. So um, no, I mean I, I think uh, all the stuff that you bring up there is really interesting. I, I think that we were one of the things about Lincoln Riley leaving and everyone sort of panicking about the quarterback recruiting. One of the reasons why that was valid and one of the reasons why that was reasonable is because pre Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma still really was not known for going after and, and landing really blue chip quarterback prospects. It's kind of an inside joke. It's sort of a, it's been a running inside joke on Oklahoma message boards for over 15 years now. Sam Bradford was a three star. It's, it's, it's brought up every single time someone talks about, recruiting and it's brought up in a joking manner now Landry Jones was a five-star wasn't he Landry Jones was a four-star was a uh <laughs> was was, well, was, was like was a, a fringe star? top okay. 100 player in the country okay okay yeah and obviously Baker Mayfield was a walk-on <laughs> and yeah Baker Mayfield he, Ma- he was yes was a, was a walk-on was a very low three-star per per rivals was was Baker Mayfield um, and, and before that, you think all the other guys, uh, Rhett Bomar was the number one quarterback in the country. Everyone knows what happened with him, though. Um, so, yeah, like really until Lincoln Riley landed Spencer Rattler, Spencer Rattler was was pretty much the very first big time five star blue chip high school recruit at the quarterback position that OU had landed since Rhett Bomar. Um, and so, yeah, so it was totally reasonable to, to be to be worried about quarterback recruiting. Um, maybe going down the drain a little bit after Riley left. And so I, I kind of followed this Elite 11 stuff quite a lot. I watched a lot of their drills. I watched a lot of um, kind of the interviews and stuff like that. So the thing the thing that really excites me the most about Jackson Arnold is, one, uh, his accuracy. He's extremely accurate throwing the ball, at least for a high school kid. Um, and going and watching some of his interviews while he was at uh, at Elite 11 looks like a guy who gets it. He's very well spoken. Uh, he, um, he he speaks softly, but he kind of knows exactly what he's saying at all times. Some of the stuff was cliched, but if you're that age and you're already going to the cliches, that that at least tells me that you kind of get it at least a little bit. Um, the thing that 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 excites me the most about Jackson Arnold, though, Lee, go watch. And of course, I just I had that little spiel at the beginning about watching tape. Um, go watch his high school tape. He's awesome. He's extremely hey, good. Know, before my before my internet went out today, I, I watched his junior highlight tape. I did. And? Yeah, no, I mean, oh, I mean, yeah, I can, I'm happy to ex, ex, expound on it, expound, expand, because I'm not really sure which word is proper for there. Yeah, uh, okay, so, so thanks for uh, uh, educating me. Thanks for educating me on the whole four-star, five-star thing. So uh, I, he... He should be a five star in at least one of the main um, recruiting databases. I, 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 so I watched, 
I watched him, and then before my internet went down, I watched Arch Manning, and I, I had never seen Arch Manning before, and I, I didn't know how, I didn't know Arch Manning was as big as he is. He's like six three, six four, which I guess makes sense because Eli and Peyton and that whole family, even the you know the, they're all, they're all tall. Um, but I I honestly, aside from like the height, there wasn't a whole lot of differences I, I saw between Arch Manning and and Jackson Arnold, just as far as what they looked like as a quarterback. Uh, both both pretty good, and so. Like, I get the high rating. I, I get why he would have won the Elite 11. He's an easy throw over the football. Not a whole lot of wasted movement with his mechanics. I liked his base. He's very sturdy, very quiet, which I like that. The guy's not fidgeting with his feet. He's just he's, he's comfortable. He's comfortable in the pocket. It's high school, but, I mean, that, that's worth something. It, it's going to go a long way. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're comfortable in high school, then there's a better chance you're going to be comfortable at the next level. Uh, I like how he kept his eyes downfield. Did seem to have a good feel for when the pocket would break down. And I noticed that when he would step up or, or you know, break the pocket, and roll out, he would always make sure to keep his eyes downfield. And again, I mean, this is a highlight tape. So everything we're going to see is all positive. I don't know what it's like for an entire game. So, I mean, there's going to be some downsides to everybody. You got to his uh, so you can you know, you, you can go look his his numbers, his junior year at Denton Geyer are are outstanding They're That's OK. If, if, if you take them. If you grant that you know Texas six A is is the best high school football in the country, which I think is kind of a consensus opinion amongst everybody, that's that's the best league in in the entire country of high school football. Um, go look at Jackson Arnold's stats. His numbers are extremely good for that for that level of football. You could probably argue that he has the best numbers of any quarterback in the country when you know when adjusted for competition level. And I should know this. And I think this is somewhat new in Texas of, of in the last four or five years. Uh, 6A is the highest. It, it used to be 5A. They bumped up to 6A. I mean, when Kyler Murray was there, it was up at 6A, I, I, I want to say. But there are two divisions. So there's 6A Division One and 6A Division Two, And Denton Geyer's in uh, Division Two. I mean, I'm, there's, there can't be that big of a drop-off between Division One and Division Two. I, I'm not sure how. Well, I, I did not know that. It's all about enrollment level, I believe. Um, so yeah, and the only reason I, I I saw that is because I you know I saw that he he helped lead his high school team last year to the state title game. They didn't win the state title game, but that was his, I think his first year as a starter. And so uh, that's a great. I, I know coaches love to look for guys that come from winning programs and win. And so you throw the talent on top of the fact that his team won a lot last year. And I think Denton Geyer is just kind of just brief history. I was looking at it. They're they're pretty good. I think they were in the state title game in like 2019 as well. Last time they won it, I want to say it was like 2012, 2013. So it's a, it's a good program there in, in North Texas. Um, and, but the thing is, I was mostly surprised when I was watching his highlight tape by his athleticism. He can, he can move. run. He moves really well. Yeah, he, he's slippery in the pocket uh, and just looked to be very aware within the pocket. You saw some designed runs. So, yeah, he's got a little bit of speed to him. And you always need that now in college football moving forward. It, it never hurts at the quarterback position. And here's a here's the thing. I was happy to see, and it's about I don't know, five and a half minute long junior highlight tape from Huddle that I watched. Many, many, many examples of Arnold throwing the football down the field and just in general throwing the ball. Because when I first watched Caleb Williams' high school tape, and it was a joke on this podcast, I swear 80% of the plays was him just running the ball like pulling it down and just running like 60 yards downfield maybe maybe i randomly clicked on his uh, caleb williams's best runs highlight tape from huddle I, I don't know maybe i just wasn't paying attention but i swear like 80 percent of it was him going back to pass then pulling it down and then just running by everybody 
So I didn't see him throw the ball quite much at all. So I was like, I don't know if Caleb Williams can throw it. And obviously we, we saw him last season. We saw him in the spring game. Caleb Williams is, is just fine throwing the ball. But it's nice, though, to see Jackson Arnold. He, yeah, he, he looks good throwing the ball. He doesn't, doesn't have a howitzer, doesn't have a super strong arm. Like, he's not Josh Allen. A few people are. Probably not even Baker Mayfield. I, I think Baker and so Mayfield's that's where I'll go it. to, um, if you kind of go through and you, if you read through, like, the tweets or the reports of the people who were there, like, on the field at the Elite 11, kind of the consensus that everyone said about Jackson Arnold is that the ball just left his hand differently than everybody else there. And so that yeah, I'm not saying that yeah, I'm not saying it looked bad. On t- I mean, granted, the Elite Eleven that's that's more recent than his junior high school tape. So I mean, how much can one develop in six months? I mean, probably at that that level, that age, quite a bit. Um, but that's good to hear. Uh, I mean, yeah, like he he can push it downfield. Get me wrong, like he he can push it downfield, and it seemed like when he needed to, he put a little extra mustard on it, which that would track with what you what you said that some of the the people that were there saw. So like, what what do you think? What do you think about his arm? I, th- I think it's good. I think it's a plus arm. It's not Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or probably even Spencer Rattler, um, but it's good. I mean, my my comp to well, him Spencer when I, Rattler coming out of Spencer Rattler coming out of high school, like Spencer Rattler last year. Spencer Rattler is not. Yeah, his his that wasn't a plus Spencer arm. Rattler last year. It's Jackson Arnold has a stronger arm. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I don't know. I, I think like when I when I watch him when I watch his high school tape uh, when I watch him at Elite Eleven, I do want to point out that kind of in like these these recruiting circuits, these competition camps and stuff like that. He has struggled at times in seven on seven. That's his biggest. That's that's his oh. biggest knock. Um, but like also, his his numbers in six A Texas high school football are so good that it's. Ugh. But yeah, that's kind of a red that's flag, that's though. the knock on, on him essentially. Be. Essentially, if his kind of reading between the lines that if his seven on seven performances have been you know had been better over the last year at these camps he would already be a five star would would be in the discussion be the number one player in the country is 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 what i gather from reading a lot of this stuff but a lot of that is not that that, that's not super unlike the trajectory of cj stroud when he was in high school that's 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 a that's very similar to what we heard about him he he kind of came out of nowhere and won elite 11 and he his the book on him was that he was inconsistent and everything you know I mean he's he's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft in all likelihood. Yeah, and I I mean I know that you kind of your whole thing last year that some people that listen to the show probably remember and I, I mean you're what you call C J Stroud like New Age Landry Jones or uh, something? yeah Ohio, Ohio State Landry Jones and hey I'm not I'm not giving and, that and up yet. Here's the thing, that's what I was going to say is I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sold on him yet at all either. I, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's ended up being a lot better than, than he looked against Minnesota, you know, in those early season games. Uh, but I, I'm still kind of like, he's got the, like the size and everything, but I, I, it's just, to me, like C.J. Stroud at this point kind of just seems like, well, he's kind of just the guy. He has a year under his belt, and he plays at Ohio State. That's kind of like why he's considered to be so big. It's like, uh, I'm there still kind of waiting that- to see. Like, I'm yeah. There are throws that Stetson Bennett was making against Michigan's defense that Stroud wasn't able to make against Michigan when they played. And hey, like one game, whatever. But I, I don't. Know, I, I'm still. I, I still think maybe there's a little bit of Landry Jones and C.J. Stroud where even if he throws for five thousand yards and sixty touchdowns next year, it's like maybe maybe in those moments he'll still kind of have a brain fart because he still had those moments last year too. Uh, whether or not that was against Oregon when they lost. He had a lot of those moments against Nebraska. He had a lot of those moments against uh, Penn State 
when Penn State played in Columbus. Obviously, he had a lot of those moments throughout in their game against Michigan. And of course, he was he was utterly brilliant in the second half against Utah in the Rose Bowl. But he also turned the ball over multiple times in that game as well. So whatever, CJ Stroud doesn't matter. Um, so I right, we, we let's we we should probably move on from this. Um, we do we, real quick we, though, real quick you. Real, real quick, I think you mentioned that, like, were you going to say something about Arch Manning or no? Oh, yeah, we may have to. So how, how familiar are you, are, are you with this? Like, there, there's a huge thing amongst the recruiting nerds online. Uh, basically, everyone thinks that Arch, Man- Arch Manning is, 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 like, statistically, by, like, the composites and everything, the, the top recruit in the history of recruiting. Um, he is, it, it used to be Trevor Lawrence, now it's Arch Manning statistically speaking, in terms of like the composite and all of that stuff. Um, there's a lot of people online, and this is, I mean, this is not just OU's fan base, there's a lot of different fan bases, who think it's kind of a huge conspiracy that he's the number one player in the country. Because a lot of people watch his stuff, they see that he comes from a really low level of, of high school football out of Louisiana, where, he does, where the competition is not very good. Uh, go look at Arch Manning's numbers, Lee. His numbers are not good. Um, so there's, there's a lot of really? people who think huh. it's a conspiracy. That Arch Manning is is the number one player in the in the country. I'm you know I'm not going to do that because I I it's it's very persuasive to me when somebody says nah I mean all of the best like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart want this guy and Dabo Sweeney wanted this guy like that's pretty persuasive to me. Um, but also at the same time when I watch I mean when I watch their tape Jackson Arnold is is it's it's not even close not even freaking close in terms of high school tape Jackson Arnold is way better. From from the tape, but like so there's like taking, but also like I don't. That's where I come in, and I, I don't know anything about recruiting. I don't know anything about recruiting. So like, see, yeah, see, and I think it's it's fair that you bring that up because you, you got to be humble and you got to. It's important to to understand what you don't know and try to. And I and I'm the same way. But I think the one position though where we can probably be somewhat more intelligent on recruiting is quarterback and. Because like you know what you look for in a quarterback, at least from my perspective, and so I didn't know that about the level of play that Arch Manning that you said he, he plays at kind of a lower level in Louisiana. I didn't know his numbers were bad because again, like, all plays, I watched he plays was, one of the lowest levels of Louisiana. It's kind of, he plays like kind of like in the uh, the Christian private school a class. He looked like he had a lot of really good uh, really good teammates to throw the ball to, man. Like the, the like a couple of big time big tall uh, rangy receivers, but I mean. I, I guess adjusting for that, like as far as competition to play, I mean that definitely is a a plus for Arnold. But to me, I I, I wouldn't. I again, this is five minutes of highlight tape I watch for both guys. I I wouldn't say that. I I wouldn't say that Arnold was way ahead of from what I saw Arch Manning wise. I to me he, he kind of you mentioned Trevor Lawrence like before was the the highest rated player. To me, he kind of looked like a thicker version of Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and like I think Arnold's probably a little bit more athletic than Arch Manning, but for as tall as Manning is, like I was kind of surprised by how well he could move. Like he he could run a little bit. Like I, I see why he's gotten a lot of love. Um, but my one critique of him and why he should definitely not have the highest recruiting ranking ever and and is uh, his arm. Like his arm does not jump off the screen. Like it, it almost looks like he's pushing the ball sometimes. And like I like Jackson Arnold's arm more, and like, I don't think Jackson Arnold's got a, a super awesome elite arm. He's got, a, I think he put it well. He's got a plus arm. I think uh, Arch Manning's arm just on is didn't look like to be anything special to me, which should automatically disqualify you from being the top quarterback prospect ever. <laughs> 
So, but at basically, the, same time, the argument like, I, is I, I get it though. Essentially, the argument is his last name is Manning, and so everybody just kind of. Which, like, I get it, and I, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's, it's absolutely delicious that he's going to Texas because if he, if he disappoints, that's, that's going to be one of the most delicious things ever in the history of American sports, I think. <laughs> just, um, just bagging on this innocent high school kid. Oh, man. But he's going to be fine. His life's going to be amazing no matter what. I, uh, no matter what happens. He's a Manning. His life is going to be incredible. Um. He's got to understand the the school that he just chose, and understands like what's going to come with that, and I you know, um, and and of course, obviously, from my perspective, I'm I hope that he's a massive bust, obviously, yeah, uh, and that would be extremely entertaining if he was. So, um, you know, we'll see. But all right, let's move on a little bit. We got we got about twenty minutes we, until we got to wrap up here, Lee. Um, I, let's just I because I want to talk about the NIL stuff, but first, let, like let's just mention OU's gotten ten commits lease since June twenty seventh, um, and this was preceded by a lot of people kind of panicking about the state of OU's recruiting. Um, I you know we never mentioned it on this podcast. We didn't have a podcast really in that stage until last week. Um, I, I was never one of those panic guys. Um, never you know I it just it just doesn't make sense to me to panic about recruiting, especially in the summer especially when there's so many guys who are uncommitted. I think a lot of the panic had to do because during that stage, during June especially, that's when Texas was ascending. That's after Arch Manning had committed and they were getting a ton of other commits from there. And so everyone is just kind of throwing their hands up saying, what do you, like, Texas sucks. They're five and seven. Why are people going to Texas? People go to Texas because Texas is, because Austin is probably really fun and they're gonna get paid a lot of money to go there. That's why they're going to Texas. I, it's not that, not that hard to understand, guys. Um, they well, I mean, and even even before they were getting paid a lot of money, people were still going to Texas. They were still getting great recruits. Hadn't yeah. mattered. It's it not hasn't matter. mattered. Yeah. Jeez, I think, Louise, I, I man, think a lot of the matter. I think a lot of people though will will start to say that like eventually that it's going to work out. You 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 put that many sure, people like. Yes, yes, that that's a fair argument. It's just from my perspective. Tell me when it works out, and then maybe I'll pay attention because it's still it hadn't since Mac Brown left. It just hasn't worked out. Hasn't mattered. So it, and hey, yeah. that was always yeah, that was that was always my argument with Georgia as well. I I kind of refused to take Georgia seriously as a national title contender until I saw him do it, and I think that's what I said last summer on this as well. And they finally did, and so now I'm I'm <laughs> now I'm basically going to be penciling Georgia in for the next five or six years without even thinking about it. But um, anyway, so. OU is, has has responded over the last month with with all these different commitments. Lee, eight of those ten Lee have been blue chip commitments. Um, and and just before we go, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name them all off. The one that I'm excited for and that everyone is excited for is is the is the edge player from from Kansas City, PJ Adabore. Uh, he is he, he's the five star on on three. And um, if you if you listen. To anybody in the recruiting circles, and if you watch his tape, the chances that he is going to be a unanimous five star by the end are really high. Are really high. Um, in fact, there's an outside chance that OU might have just gotten the number one defensive player in the country with him. Go watch. Go watch some of his stuff. Like, and actually, go watch some of his stuff. Like on the camp circuits, he is freakishly athletic and large. Like he is a guy who OU has, and like OU has never really been that successful with edge recruiting, getting big time guys in that in that regard. Um, this guy represents definitely something, someone totally different in that regard, and it's it's 
when you actually see this guy's body and you see him move, it gets really exciting starting to think about what, what can be done with him in a college strength and conditioning program. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this obviously, you know, he's got, he's got to play senior year, obviously, but there's a really good chance uh, that this guy is a, is a consensus five-star by the end of this thing. This, this is a guy who, who just, you just don't see types of guys like this come to OU very often. A couple other guys I want to mention, Jaquez Petaway, receiver from Houston, uh, 5'11", 170 pounds. He's he's number 56 player in the country in the composite. I know he's a speed guy. He's a guy that pretty much everybody wanted. OU got him. Um, and the other big one was another another guy from Kansas City area. That's Caden Green. He's an offensive guard. Um, I know per rivals, he's like he's the best um, he's the best offensive lineman that Bill Beanbow has ever signed uh, per rivals. Um, so that's cool. Like that stuff, they're just good recruits. I know if you follow any of the recruiting and everything, anything like that, they're, they're in a really good position for, for more guys here in the future in the next month or so. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to end this by saying, you know, like we were one, we gave Brent Venables and his staff a lot of credit for still scrounging up a top 10 class, even when, you know, even in that transition class, I mean, merely months after Lincoln Riley had left, still, still, still was able to get a top 10 class. As we talk right now, Lee, they are number seven in the 247 composite right now. That is ahead of They're Alabama. Seven now? What's that? So they, they jumped up. I, last I saw, they were eight. They were, number, they were number eight when I looked four hours ago. I'm looking right now, and they are number seven. So something, something changed. They, they moved something around. Yeah, they, they went ahead of Tennessee. They weren't ahead of Tennessee in the last one, and they are now. So that, that I bet old Josh Heupel. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so knowing what we know about who they're in on and who is announcing here in the future, the trajectory is looking really good for OU to potentially have a top five class. The trajectory is looking really good for OU to potentially have the best class they've had in a decade or the best class they've had in the last five years. And so if you told me, Lee like a week or so after Lincoln Riley left, if you would have told me, hey, don't sweat it, Brent Venables is going to be hired, and he's going to salvage a top 10 class, and he's even going to add a few guys to that class that Lincoln Riley didn't have that are actually really going to excite you. And at this stage, at, at, the, at, at the end of July in 2022, working on the 23 class, if you would have told me that he was working on what is likely going to be a top five, top six class, I would have been ecstatic. Would not have believed you. Would have thought if that's the case, then I, I would have at the time I would have my, my imagination would have gone wild. I would have started to think, okay, maybe they they found something here. Uh, because right now the trajectory is Brent Venables is recruiting at a higher level than Lincoln Riley did. If the trajectory stays the same, that's huge. Yeah. That's massive. No, it's impressive. And I mean, you look at I am able to look at the class right now because uh, I was on their uh, their. The, you know, the 247 website before my internet went down. And so I'm looking at it right now and I see, you know, uh, the, the big thing that we've always been clamoring for is, is defensive blue chippers. And I mean, they've gotten some under Riley and Grinch, but it, then it's, it's about the development. The, I mean, Ronnie Perkins was fantastic. You know, I mean, he developed, um, you know, they ended up developing a Trey Norwood who was a three-star, but like the, Outside of like the big four, like there really hasn't been much. And so like the whole thought with Venables and then Todd Bates and you hope with Miguel Chavis and, and everybody like the, the defensive recruiting can be better and also the development will be better. So you look at it, you see a couple of four-star linebackers they got in the class right now. Great. Uh, hopefully that pans out. You see a four-star corner. And then you mentioned the, uh, I'm going to have a terrible time 
pronouncing his name, Adabore. PJ Adabore. Adabore. PJ Adabore. So he's an edge player. Uh, you say he's a five star on on three, and so there. I mean, there's a couple linebackers, a, a guy in the secondary, one D lineman, and I also think that maybe you mentioned that they're kind of in a good spot moving forward. They could be getting some more. There's another guy out of Florida. I think he's an interior defensive lineman that at least as Derek far as two seven goes. Yeah, yeah, and I think he's recently shifted. I think before he was like a Florida or a Florida State guy. And uh, he's out of Florida from from uh, Kissimmee or Kissimmee, however you pronounce that. They're, they're going to get him. And so, they're going to get him is what the is what the talk is. And that's you know you can you can go on Twitter and you can find people saying they're going to get Derek LeBlanc. Other yeah, guys to I, look at, you know, Makari Vickers out of Florida is 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 thought to be a heavy OU lean. He he announces at the end of August. That's a heads up battle between OU and Alabama. And he's a he he's a top one hundred player in the country. He's a corner. What position? Corner. Corner. Tall Ooh. corner, lengthy corner. Um, so there's Vickers, and there's also another uh, there's another receiver out of Texas who they're heads up against Georgia against, who they are thought to have a really good chance for. And so, God, man, if you would have told me that if OU was going to go heads up against Alabama and Georgia for for blue chip guys first year under BV and and win them, uh, <laughs> like I mean I don't know I mean that's there's a lot there that can get you excited. And so I don't really have much more on that other than um, I think just kind of this last month, if there was any sort of worry about Brent Venables' recruiting chops, put those to bed. Just think about what will happen if OU has a good season. So I'll, I'll add something real quick before you move on to the NIL stuff, which I know we want to get to here quick. Uh, it, I think this is worth mentioning because you know, you're saying, hey, if I would have known about this a year ago or not a year ago now, like whenever Venables was hired, I'd be ecstatic. The potential top, top 10, top five class. Yes, it's all, it's all great. Everything, we've said it a million times, everything that's happened since Venables has been hired has been really good. I mean, there's been super positive things, but no games have been played yet. That's like, OU has to perform. And if not, like if something goes wrong, something looks bad, maybe Venables weirdly is not a good game day coach, then, you know, these recruits maybe aren't going to be given Venables and OU the benefit of the doubt. So, like, the fact that no game has been played, I think, is, is helping OU right now because there's a lot of expectations. Because, and also the, the history of Brent Venables. He's a fantastic coach and a great recruiter. Uh, but, I, I, you know, if something goes wrong, maybe Oklahoma underachieves, hmm, okay, then you start to potentially worry a little bit. I mean, Venables is still going to be a good recruiter. It's just, uh, I, I, you know, you want them to perform at a pretty high level, obviously, right off the bat, because then that can continue the, the recruiting train, you would hope. And so I just I wanted to bring that up because I think the fact that they haven't played yet, I think, is, is important because there's, there's no reason for any of these recruits to doubt Brent Venables or even Jeff Levy to some extent. And I can go in the other direction, too. Like I said, if they have a really, really good season and it's just like if recruits start to see, oh, Josh, this is a totally different edge, a totally that can only help them. That's only going to help them. Oh, yeah. But also, yeah, 100%. if they come out and they suck and, you know, they go seven and five, they go six and six, that's not that's not going to help. Um, and but, we think they're going to have a good season. I mean, we're, we're, we think they're going to play pretty well. So I, I just wanted to kind of put that caveat on it. Like, OK, we think we know what's going to happen, but it's sports. We never know exactly what's going to happen. All right. What do you think about NIL? Did you listen to that Josh Pate podcast I recommended? I did. And I. It was interesting, but at the same time, I kind of thought it was a little hollow because he didn't want to go into any details. So it's like, all right, like, 
I see what you're saying here, but I feel like you're stretching. You're stretching. You're stretching this topic a little further than really it can go. And I get it. He thing is, this Josh Pate guy, like I, I referenced him after the spring game. I just heard about him in the last four or five months. He's uh, he's very dynamic. He's he's a talented guy. I mean, he, the way he talks, like you can tell he can host a show. I mean, I'm just these are the things I think about when I watch stuff like that, just because of what I do for a living. And we do a podcast. So uh, I, I want to compliment him. I think he does a really nice job. And and uh, he's obviously stretching this. And then he goes into talking about other stuff on the show, for like around the SEC. And, and just for me, it's like, OK, I I can't be an expert on all this stuff. I you know, we talk about OU football. And that's it. But as far as that topic, yeah, like if there were some names and there, there really is some teams like I think you mentioned in the opening take, like, yeah, like maybe. I did hear the rumors about Jordan Addison maybe being upset about not getting what maybe he was promised or whatever. And then uh, like, it's an easy thing to look at. I think you mentioned a little bit earlier in the show about, I can't remember exactly what you said. Oh no. Uh, when you were talking about how there were some worries around the fan base when Oklahoma wasn't getting certain recruits around June or whatever. And Texas was, and you were like, nah, I mean, there's not really any point to worry about this stuff. It's going to work itself out. What if you're Texas A&M though, and you're in the fifties or sixties, a year after you have the number one recruiting class. Uh, so in my, my first thought is like, are there some sort of NIL things that are not working out with Texas A&M right now? And, and so maybe they could, and I think we, you talked about this offline to me, uh, you know, maybe those are two schools that, you know, we're just throwing out there. It's a podcast. Like maybe there's some, some smoke to where they're not fully, you know, those are two schools that maybe they're not fully working through all this NIL stuff, but also that could just be conjecture. And it just could be early. I don't know. It could be. You know, I think, um, well, I guess, I mean, I, I, we're, I'm under the impression, I don't think Josh Pate would say this stuff just to throw it against the wall. You know, I mean, he's, he, he's a guy who has no, a I reputation. think it's happening. I think it's happening. I just, my, my main, like, he obviously went out of his way. To, he's not going to call anybody out. Like, because he, he's, he's, he's got sources, and it sounds like he's got some pretty good sources. And so, for me, it's just like, I... Yes. Okay. This is happening. I'm not that surprised that this is a thing. Granted, I suppose I hadn't really thought much of it. So I think maybe to your point, it kind of perked your ears up a bit, right? Exactly. Like, oh yeah. Exactly. This is another element here's, that I hadn't thought. And of. here's my perspective. My perspective is paying high school kids to come play for your college. It just feels gross. It feels gross. And I don't really want that to be a part of the game at all. I'm 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 working through the process of uh, process of accepting it because it's obviously going to be part of it going forward. Um, but yeah, if, if anything pops up that makes it, that, um, that makes it not seem like a slam dunk that all you have to do in the NIL area is just be the richest program. If anything pops out, cause like, I, I don't know, man, Texas A&M signed the best class ever in 2022, eight, five stars and 24 stars were part of that class. That's insane. And there's. I know Jimbo Fisher got all upset when, when Nick Saban accused them of buying the class. Nick Saban was right. They absolutely bought that class. Um, Jimbo Fisher was wrong to get upset about it. He should have just said, yeah, and what are you going to do about it? That's what he should have said. Um, but it kind of it warms my heart a little bit if the reality is that Texas A&M just went Leroy Jenkins on the bit and just went into it and didn't have their ducks in a row, and it's going to burn them. That's like, that's, that, that sounds amazing. That sounds incredible, and of course, and, and like, and it kind of, and like, you could you could talk yourself into that same thing happening with the University of Texas right now as well, and like, I, what else can I say about it other than just nom 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 nom? 
if if, yeah. if if that's what happens, if NIL, if NIL throws a wrench into Texas A&M, into Texas, into Miami, into USC, and makes all of this stuff logistically harder, it's actually not something that helps them. It's actually something that hinders them going forward. Put it directly into my veins. NIL's awesome. NIL's no, awesome don't. in that regard. Because it's... I get your... I, sorry, I keep, I keep cutting you off. You're good. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I just don't, I don't see that. I don't envision that because... It, I, it's you just have to be financially smart and like yeah maybe you jumped ahead of the the gun here and there when they weren't really sure how it worked but it's going to be pretty clear how this works and as long as the NCAA doesn't have any sort of like for one the NCAA doesn't really have any sort of authority anyways on any of this stuff like the, they came out what a few months ago was like oh we don't really think that well, this no, should Lee, be I'm, I'm, I'm no, talking about no rules against it I'm talking about I'm talking about collectives people who aren't necessarily directly yes. related to the university telling these kids, having them sign contracts saying, come to this university, you're going to get so-and-so, this, this, amount of mo- this amount. And when they show up, they realize that, that that stuff is conditional a lot of the times. It's not guaranteed. It's not up front. It does, it does have to do with playing, playing a certain amount of games, having certain certain level of stats. And people are, are signing these things without knowing that. And if that I happens... Mean, if that... See, then I'd be surprised like if... These these adults that were like trying to sign these guys like didn't make it pretty clear of like yeah these are these are conditional like this is this is basic contract one hundred and one like this is not difficult to figure out sure and I and, and like and if they're doing that that's I, that's ridiculous that's terrible they're gonna blow their own it's stuff ridiculous up. yeah and but thing is though are you coming from a perspective where like you just you don't see why anyone would do that no I can see why they would do it but it would be it's it seems so dumb because it's really easy to get caught and then you end up screwing over. What you're trying to make better, so I just don't see like why it would make sense to eat, to try to sneak something by anybody, especially because in my mind, people that are part of these collectives and people that have the the wherewithal boosters, anybody that actually has you know money to donate or give, these are people that I, they have a lot of it, and like to, to them, it's 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 almost it's just for fun. Like I got enough money, I'm just like giving this money away because I really want to see my team do well. So. Uh, I, I would hope that these people are smart enough to realize that if they do something that could potentially harm the, the team down the line, they wouldn't do it to begin with because that doesn't make any sense. I don't think I, I honestly don't think the people who who willy nilly write cut checks to 17 year olds think that deeply about stuff. I mean, the fact that they have enough money to to cut checks like this, I just I guess I would just assume that if you have a lot of money, you're, you're somewhat smart, especially when it comes to business and contracts. Exactly. That, uh, exactly. It's and it's 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 not smart at all to give millions of dollars to a 17-year-old who hasn't done anything. Well, I don't know. I mean, again, like we don't even know how much money these guys are getting. Like I, I doubt that a lot of these guys are getting millions of dollars. I I maybe I'm they saying are. just maybe like collect- some. like collectively. I, just, I mean, collectively though. They yeah, these guys are are you know, are uh, are pledging millions of dollars a year not to one person, but like collectively in a lot of cases to this. And so yeah, like I I would say you're like you don't become rich and you don't become without, without protecting yourself in contracts is what I would say. And like, I just, I, there was always this economic reality of, of the market being all weird. It's, it's not a real free market. A bunch of rich people throwing a bunch of money at a high school kid that you, that you can't project, you don't know is going to be a, a total success there. I don't think anyone would say that that's actually a wise investment. That's, that's detached from a market. 
And so like basically my, my thought process is what if, what if the rules of economics always catch up with you no matter what? And we're going to see some sort of, whereas right now this is not operating within the rules of economics at all. There's no set, there's, there's no set, like there's no demand. Where is the demand? What's the product? Where's well, the mean, demand? If you're involved, if you're involved with it, I'm sure there there is a market as far as how much money a certain guy is worth. I mean, there's probably been a black market for everyone who comes to like college basketball. You know, you always hear about, you know, the 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 black market for how much a five star for you know under the table costs. And so, I I get what you're saying, but I I do think there is there is incentive because if some booster, some guy that has a lot of money that loves Texas A and M or loves Vanderbilt, that's a bad example because Vanderbilt's not going to do it, or that loves Alabama, that loves Tennessee. If they're thinking, well, uh, we otherwise we wouldn't we wouldn't be getting this five star player, even a four star player. But if I throw, you know, twenty k or fifty k at this collective and they can get them for sure, like I just, that's worth it to me because because they're into recruiting and they know that it's a numbers game. I really don't think the math works out. I really don't, I, and I think that's why you're going to see a lot of this stuff with promises and with because like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a number. I, I heard on Josh Pate's podcast, this was, this was last night I was looking, Kirby Smart, I think during SEC media days, media days, said that players on the Georgia roster were paid $3.4 million in 2021. Now, presumably, that's only going to go up the more that NIL becomes a thing and the more that people like start to understand this stuff. And so I start to think to myself, okay, we know that's how much someone, you know, the Georgia roster was paid in 2021. And I think to myself, okay, Texas A&M just had a 30-member freshman class where we know at least all of those were promised some sort of cheddar, some sort of cash, and, and all collectively, that's millions and millions of dollars probably that, that was dedicated just to those 30 people. So that's millions of dollars per year. You still have money that you have to take care of the people on the roster. And so, like, let's say, like, so there's going to be 10, 11 million dollars or whatever like every single year dedicated to people on the roster and incoming people on the roster that's supposed to be totally funded by outside entities and you're going to do that every single year even knowing that a lot of these people bust out and don't and they themselves the people the collectives who are providing this money they don't have a source of income other than their own personal income those collectives aren't making money they they rely on donations and other people the math is not going to work out they're not, they're not going to okay, be so, able to satisfy all of these promises. And so, and so what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is maybe it's better to do the wait and see approach, do the slow approach, make sure that you have something that's smaller in place so that you know that you take care of the players on your roster no matter what. And there is some, there's some whispers that OU has done exactly that and that every scholarship player on their roster is guaranteed is going to make 50 grand while they're at OU. And they've said that and they've committed to that. There's some whispers that that's the case. And that, that's pretty much all OU is promising at this point in time. And so I'm, I'm, my question is, is that the wise approach? Is, is, is that the right approach moving forward? I, I, sure. I, I guess my, my disconnect comes from what you said a second ago. And it's very similar to what I heard. Uh, you know, Brady Quinn, I listened to the, his radio show. with I, I mentioned it a couple times on the show. Like He was talking about it. And he was v- saying very similar things to you about how this collective, like the, the people that invest this money, they want to return in the investment. At some point, the money's going to run out. And from my perspective, I was screaming at my phone or when I was listening. And, and so in my mind, all of these people that are donating money to these collectives now, in my mind, these are the same people that have been just giving money to the school forever because they're super rich people. And so they're just now, whatever money they gave to the school, 
they're now just giving to these collectives. And these people donate lots and lots and lots of money all the time. And so in my mind, that money that they used to donate just like to the school to get great tickets and just kind of have like a seat at the table probably, and that they, they just genuinely love the school because they're alumni or whatever. That money now is not going to go to the school anymore. It's going to go to this collective, which is basically the same kind of idea to pay for players. And so in my mind, the money is going to keep going in unless there's some sort of reason why the school is going to be like, oh, but like we really need your money for the school too. That's where it could start in my mind kind of start to be like, okay, do I give the money to the school or do I give it to the collective? Because a lot of these people are donating to the school, but the mainly, main thing is for the football program, right? Or the basketball program, depending on what school it is. And so they're like, all they care about really, I mean, they're not going to say this out loud because it just does, it sounds mean or like the money they donate to the school, they want because the football program, they want that to be really good. And also they just probably like to have status to get cool seats at the football games and like all, everything that comes with being a rich donor to any sort of university. And so that's why I think the money is going to keep coming in because the same money they, that these schools have been getting for years, especially at a Texas A&M who's got, we all know, who's got tons of money. It's just being funneled now to these collectives where they can continue to pay these players. And so I, I don't think it's going to run out. The main thing for me is like, it's, it, all it's going to matter is can you develop these guys and can you get these guys to the NFL? That's the biggest thing. And that's why I think it's going to come to, down, to, down to it. Can these guys go and be good players in the NFL? And I like, think they're not going to want to be. And, and I think that's where to make gets, all their money in college. And I think that's where it gets interesting because you can't you just can't convince me otherwise. If you if, if you give an 18 year old hundreds of thousands of dollars, they are going to work less hard to get to the NFL. You can't convince me otwise. I, I'm it's there. You know what? There will always be exceptions. There will always like yeah. yeah um, will Anderson was at SEC Media Days and people were asking him hypothetical questions about, hey, if you were in the situation, like, would you sit out the bowl game? And he was just like, no, I love football. I would never do that. Um, and so like, will Anderson's probably one of those guys. Regardless of how much money you give him at Alabama, he's probably solely focused and he just wants to be the best football player he can be. I, I'm not talking about guys like him. He's kind of a unicorn. He's a special person. I'm, talk, I'm, I'm talking about most people who get into college. They need to kind of be broken a little bit. They need to be shown how to live life. I, I'm questioning how, how realistic it is to do that when you've essentially told somebody you've already made it in life once you've gotten to college, here's $100,000. Well, um, and, and I think that's a really... I, and, and this is exactly what Brent Venables and his program, what he's trying to build. It's, he, it's completely contra that. He is trying to he's trying to combat exactly that. And so if you're an OU fan, if you want to if you want if you want something to circle to be really excited about moving forward, especially in this NIL era, that's it. I think OU is being much yeah. more thoughtful about this. I don't think Texas A&M is being particularly thoughtful about it. Um, there's something about it and uh, there's something about A&M symbolically, of course, being that first recruiting class and then throwing so much money into it. Um, that says a lot to me. It it, it tells me that Maybe AM doesn't necessarily understand where their problems are. Um, because AM was recruiting at a top five level under Kevin Sumlin as well. And they, they've continued oh, yeah. to do so under Jimbo Fisher. And so like I'm it's I think there's evidence there that the problem at AM, the problem at Texas, the problem at USC is much deeper than just their ability to to obscure good players. And I no, don't I think, think they've point. corrected any of those mistakes by just pumping a bunch of money into NIL collectives. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it just happens that Brent Venables' mindset, his mantra, his philosophy, and it, you know whether it's been developed throughout his entire career, which it has, uh, it just, it just, it's great for Oklahoma and Oklahoma fans and everybody that's around the program that it just happens to align with really any sort of 
bump in the road or any sort of adaptation to college football because he just he preaches be a good person it's all about the team it's all about bettering yourself to not just be a great football player but to be a great person and be a great human being and that I mean that works for everything and so that obviously can help going into the NIL stuff as well I think that's the right message to strike during NIL I really, I, I really do. I think we are going to see a greater influx of people burning out, high-profile recruits burning out, um, because it's just human nature. When you're given that much money, uh, it's, it's going to happen. Um, if you're given that much money and you, are, and, and, and you aren't constrained by other institutions around you to, you know, I, I just... College is easy, man. And I, I, I'm not saying that, that the kids who in these football programs have it easy. They have to work hard. Those workouts are hard. Their lives are very structured, but in a lot of ways, that makes their life a lot easier than other people's as well. And now they're getting paid yeah. handsomely for it. And, and as time as time moves on, like anything in life, there's going to be some cautionary tales, and 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 kids, high school kids, will learn from other people's mistakes. That's just the way life goes. And that's just like I've never, I've never gotten too high or too low when it comes to nil. Like I, it doesn't. I don't think like I, I do like the idea that some random teams could potentially get recruits that they wouldn't otherwise get because of money because but at the same time though like i'm not i'm not going to get worked up over texas spending a bunch of money because again until they prove otherwise it hasn't mattered i'm not gonna get worked up over texas a&m now like the georgias and the alabamas like yeah they're gonna get these guys but they've always been good they've always got these guys anyways um yeah like so until it starts to change and it actually starts to matter which i don't think it has at this point yet I get it. A&M got a great class. We'll see what they do with it. Uh, until it starts to matter, I'm not going to really put as much thought into it as maybe some other people that, that really like to pound the table and get worked up every time they see Texas sign a guy because they assume Texas just gave that guy six figures and whatever. Like, well, so part what? of that is just to me, yeah, so what? Yeah, part of that is just, is just part of the fun college football tribalism, though, and you just kind of have to embrace it and have fun with it. But I want to we're, we're going to end here, but I want to end on two thoughts. Um, it is going to be interesting to see kind of how it all plays out with Texas A&M. They can sign as many five-star guys as they, if they want, but if they don't have a quarterback or receiver, it doesn't matter. I, I, I don't, you know. And that is that is very likely going to be a problem for them this upcoming season as well. I totally see them as another 7-5, and 8-4 and four type season. Um, and also, Lee, I go, if, if I go to 247 two, Sports' top 10 players in the, in the 2023 class right now, not a single, or I'm sorry, eight of them, are committed right now to a school. Not a single one of those schools is Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, or Clemson. That is a very good sign. And I really hope that continues. All right. We'll wrap things up. Apologies to anybody who posts on the West of Everest Facebook page. Uh, again, don't have any internet. Can't see what you guys put on there, but I appreciate it either way. Or anyways, we'll try to get to it at some other point. Uh, and I, I have not seen dates yet for fall camp for OU. I know OSU starts next Wednesday. And so I would guess OU is probably going to start on Friday, Friday or Saturday of next week, I'm going to guess. Uh, we'll probably get some sort of correspondence from Mike Houck at some point in the next week. But uh, next show, we'll talk. Uh, I guess we'll preview fall camp, we'll, whatever else comes about. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.